You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. Here are the two bad ones. Because you're an offensive lineman. Because <laughs> you're a left tackle. There's uh-huh. a couple that pertain there. Yeah. What about the offensive grapple? It's Wes. No, yeah, hell no. Yeah, that's not that. <laughs> that's awful. That sounds like something your grandmother would come up with. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the offensive grapple. Yeah, I'm not even walking out to that. And Walker. This one's even worse than offensive grapple. Okay. All right, you ready? Wesselmania. Yeah. No, hell no. Yeah. <sighs> I'm embarrassed to even bring that to the airwaves. Yeah. <laughs> Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. Oh, that's fire. I don't care who you say. <laughs> You want to know how I didn't play left tackle at a D1 level, Wes Bryant? Uh, I kept calling it a kick out instead of a kick slide. <laughs> I mean, but I know what you mean. I, I mean, know you, you know it. what I meant, but even still, that's the number one giveaway. Oh, okay, Walker, he knows what he's talking about, but also not 100%. And maybe that just should be the theme of the show, at least the first half of Wes and Walker. It's all good, man. Football terminology one-on-one, you want to have a little sesh. Mm-hmm. Fiddy is mad at me, and so he's shaking his head vigorously to make sure that I see him over there behind the ones and twos. And so he's like, yes, Walker, I know what he's talking about. Do you see me shaking my head? He got mad at me. I mean, that was bumping to the music, but you tell yourself that makes you feel so. ah. Oh, do you want that on the playlist? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If you were bumping your head to the music, though, it was way off beat. I don't know if that's any better, to be honest with you. Uh, I have no rhythm, Walk. No, that's true. All right, that's Josh Fiddy Marlowe, J.D. Marlowe. We put the live wire on our website, WFNZ.com, just like our upcoming interview. Interview with Eric Spanberg, who we welcome right now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, part of the Charlotte Business Journal. You can find Eric on Twitter at CBJ Spanberg. Eric, thank you so much for the time, man. How are you? Doing great. Did y'all mention uh, people who kind of know what's going on, but not all the way? Because if so, I'm your guest. <laughs> well, we had you on, Eric. I pre- you, you matched the show very well with that kind of feeling. And so we appreciate you hopping on. Weston Walker, I did want to talk about the Hornets ticket prices for season ticket holders going up. And just to get everybody up to speed. You wrote about this in the Charlotte Business Journal that the Hornets co-owners, Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall, they promise fans that they'll invest in players, facilities, and winning, but it's going to come at a price for season ticket holders. The new owners completed a series of meetings with ticket holders who will be affected by upcoming renovations at the Spectrum Center, and attendees included over 900 seats whose ticket prices will go up by an average of nearly 80% next season, but it will come with improvements to existing private club access, all-inclusive food, soda, beer, wine, and parking. Eric, my question to you, when renovations were announced and new ownership took over, did you expect this type of thing to happen? Did you expect ticket prices to go up as much as is being presented here? I definitely expected them to go up. I didn't know how much. Uh, Part of that is I didn't realize that some of the lower-level seats that are sort of right on the edge of the private clubs, uh, you know, I just didn't realize that it was that adjacent. And so that does kind of make sense. And when I say kind of makes sense, I mean in a high-priced professional sports world where everything's expensive, it does make sense. I think that beyond the of nobody wants to ever pay more for anything <laughs> – so, you know, no one's going to say thank you for raising prices. I think the other thing that may have rankled some fans is they, some of them at least, were expecting to see some progress on the court before maybe they were paying higher prices. Now, that's, there's no guarantee. 
Uh, plenty of other teams raise prices. Irregardless, irreg- I'm saying irregardless. I can't even speak by. It parents. fits the mantra. Regardless, we kind of know what we're talking court. about. Yeah, that that it fits. Yeah. It all fits, Eric. <laughs> yeah, it all fits. I cannot believe I almost said it. Uh, regardless of performance <laughs> on the court or field, teams do raise prices. So that's a, a very long-winded way of me saying I thought they would go up. I didn't know if they would go up quite this much. Uh, but the real proof here will be: Are those sections still full? Because those lower Seats are the ones that uh, have the waiting list and that people, uh, you know, tend to buy the most. So we'll see. Well, yeah, and, and just to be clear here, make sure you guys go to the Charlotte Business Journal and subscribe because there's a lot of important information here as constantly brought up by Eric Spanberg. The thing Eric's talking about, a small number of tickets in the lower level that were previously excluded from private club membership and other amenities, 38 seats in the first two rows of the baseline they'll have to pay a whopping 225% more to retain their seats. And so that's what you're talking about here. We're we're trying to make sense of it too, Eric. Like, okay, all-inclusive food. You do have some private club membership with the purchase of these tickets, but clearly you're paying at a premium. So how did the season ticket holders respond to this type of news? And how would you respond if you were a season ticket holder here with all the amenities that come with it? Well, I can tell you, I mean, I wasn't in the meeting, but I I definitely heard that uh, plenty of people spoke up. And uh, it was not um, combative, but there was some frustration and disappointment from a decent percentage of fans about some of the issues I just outlined. Now, we should mention, and I do mention this in my article, the Hornets have had the cheapest tickets in the NBA for 10 years in a row. So... In comparison to other teams, this is not outrageous by any stretch. Then again, your perspective is your perspective, right? Mm -hmm. You're used to paying what you're used to paying. And when you look around and you have not ever won a playoff series since the NBA came back in 2004, and you've only been to the playoffs, I think, what, three times, maybe three, four times in the 20 years the NBA's been back, you can see how people would get a little frustrated by that. Eric Spanberg joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And Eric, when you look at a list like the one I'm looking at here by Axios that talks about the cost of attending an NBA game in 2023, you are dead on. The Hornets are 30th in the league, and the metric that they used was four tickets, the cheapest that you could get, along with food and parking. So now with these increases, where is this going to put the Hornets as far as in the uh, NBA rankings? Is this going to put them middle of the pack? Are they going to become more uh, expensive than most NBA teams now? Where does this put them? We don't know yet because we don't know what the other teams are doing. My guess is there's still probably going to be in, I would think, the lower third or so of pricing. They're definitely not going to be 30, obviously. But, uh, you know, I would think they'd probably come in around 20, 19, 18, somewhere in there. Uh, so, not, you know, it's not like they're going to go from 30 to 5 all of a sudden. But at the same time, I think that what's interesting to watch beyond do people keep buying is, who gets to the finish line first in Charlotte? We all know, you know, Panthers two and fifteen. The Hornets are what thirteen and forty-one right now. Uh, Charlotte FC going into their third year with their third coach. If someone starts to win in this city, I, I think it's there for the taking. The fan interest, the revenue, the selling merch, all that stuff. I, I think that it's just waiting to be had because there's been such a long drought of winning in Charlotte. 
And then thinking outside of the box with this, is this a move, too, that obviously there's tangible reasons with the renovations and things of that nature, but is this also something that could help perhaps change perception of the Hornets because, like you said, cheapest ticket in the NBA, not a good team, so now hopefully you start to improve and then your ticket prices are kind of at least in the middle now where things it doesn't look cheap, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of the pitch you saw in the letter from the teams, the season ticket holders. It was all about how, yes, you're going to pay more, but you're going to get more. The arena is going to be better. We're doing these renovations. And, oh, by the way, we're going to make this team better. We have some pieces to build around in Brandon Miller and LaMelo Ball, and we've made moves at the trade deadline, and we are going to build something that is sustainable. Now, look, we've heard this from previous owners. So (laughs) it's got to be the show me state, right? But at least the initial message, the initial intention sounds like the right one. So when you look at the renovations that are coming to the Spectrum Center, did this new ownership group look at uh, this arena and say, hey, we are under where we should be as far as NBA arenas? Are they trying to catch up to the best of the best? Or was this just a move where they felt like they have a good arena, but they just want to enhance it all the more? This goes back to the Michael Jordan, Fred Whitfield era. They were the ones who negotiated this 15-year lease extension in exchange for the $215 million of tax money to improve the arena. Now, what I will tell you, though, is that when Schnall and Plotkin came in last summer, they took a look at the plan renovations, and they made some changes and some updates. Remember, Rick Schnall's coming in from Atlanta, where they did a very similar renovation of the State Farm Arena. And the other point that's important is that the Hornets say this is going to cost more than $215 million. They haven't said how much, but whatever that amount is, the new owners are going to put that money into those extra improvements. So that will be very interesting to figure out. You know, is it $5 million? Is it $10 million? Is it $20 million? But definitely this is a vision from these new owners that they want to raise the level of the franchise all around. The other thing that they've mentioned throughout their short tenure is they want training facilities, uh, player meals, all those kinds of things to be improved too. So we'll see how far they get on that front. Well, Eric, last thing from me, I just wanted to note, even if it's a small sample size with these guys at the helm and Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall so far, uh, do you get the sense that we're going to be operating differently compared to what Michael Jordan was like as the owner, at least from a business point, right? Because these guys do have the business background and it does seem to be a more business savvy operation over there. Is that the feeling you get with Plotkin and Schnall at the helm? Yeah, I definitely think there is a new direction. You know, there were some things that Michael Jordan's team did really well on the business side. Remember, these, this franchise was losing a ton of money before Michael Jordan came in and made it consistently profitable. But I think one thing that we're going to see from this group is they're going to invest a little more, and I think they're going to bring in some more people to help realize that vision. So, yeah, a lot to watch here, not to mention, of course, what you guys are watching every day, which is how does the basketball operation come along? All right, great stuff from Eric Spanberg of the Charlotte Business Journal joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. It sounds like you know he exactly. Knew what he was talking about. Exactly, yeah. 100% Eric Spanberg. <laughs> Find him on Twitter at CBJ Spanberg and make sure you subscribe to the Charlotte Business Journal because Eric's keeping you up to date on all of the happenings in that world here in the Queen City. Eric, thank you so much uh, for the time, man. We really appreciate it. 
Thanks, guys. Y'all take care. Thank you. That was good stuff on getting some information on how the tickets will be raised. But at least you are getting some all-inclusive stuff here. Last comments before we move on. We'll actually welcome Tim Bontemps to talk about how we fix the All-Star weekend, maybe get his Hornets takes post-All-Star break. But it is trying to. It is hard to figure out. Wes, we were talking about this on Lockdown Hornets. You have this big old raise, 80%. 225% for the people that are sitting in the very lower level, but also you're already dropping a decent amount of money to be sitting in those particular seats anyway. So when you're raising that type of money, it's probably coming out of more rich people's pockets in order to pay that much more. Now you are putting a bad product on the floor. The last three games you haven't, yeah. they won. But I think this fan base, even with how high we are on how good the Hornets have been, we still want to see a little bit more of a longer stretch than the three games that they won in a row before we see this. Now, next year, that's going to happen. We still don't know exactly how good they're going to be. And so my question is, can you expect for this plan to work immediately? Or do you think maybe there might be a little bit of a lull before the Hornets actually get good and then the people will start to pony up for some of those raises that we see? Uh, I think initially, you know, there's going to be some pushback. I think some of the fans aren't happy about this because the timing could not be worse. But I think at the end of the day, you know, people still love sports. People are still going to want to come see if anything, the other teams. We hope that's not the case. We hope the Hornets are in a position to where People want to come see them. But if anything, people are still going to enjoy those seats because they get to see their favorite superstars up close. I know for me, though, the first thing I would be thinking if I was in that position is, what's the food looking like? Like, yeah, uh, is it? Well, and they, you know, they <laughs> my fan is increased. You better be having the best of the best. They went through a change, though, there. Like, they actually upgraded their food and stuff. And so I know Willie P, we could talk to him about it tomorrow. Fitty, isn't Willie P very happy because they moved on from Domino's and they're actually doing Brick's Pizza over there, at least from a media mm. standpoint. So that's available yeah. for the people, too. You've heard too much yeah, about that, I used that, to dine a lot of arena food when oh, I was yeah. doing the Hornets games. And it was, I mean, it, it was straight. But I'm just saying, if I'm <laughs> going to charge me a 225% hike, you better be giving me some good stuff. Fiddy, it sounds like you've heard way too much about Brick's Pizza from Willie. Well, no, because I've now gone to the other area where the media can eat, and I get, like, the hot dog and the french fries and the popcorn. And mm -hmm. It's okay? It, I mean, it's it's arena food. Okay. That's your analysis. <laughs> arena food from one Fiddy here. Uh, thanks again to Eric for joining us. We'll put that interview on our website, WFNZ.com. Let's keep the round ball conversation going. Tim Bontemps joins us on the other side of the break, a part of ESPN.com. It's up next on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Weston Walker back, Sports Radio 927 WFNZ, 1704, number making fun of my analysis as well. Last segment, he said, quote, they updated their food and stuff. Yes, that's an actual thing I said about some of the renovations. <laughs> <laughs> so look, that's the kind of hard-hitting analysis you get here on Weston Walker. Real quickly, the other thing I wanted to take note of, mm -hmm. we got some player beef. On Twitter right now in the okay, NBA? Okay, what we got? So you know how J.J. Reddick called out Doc Rivers? Yeah. Pat Bev said, this man actually saved your career, started you when no one else wanted to, and you retire, go on TV, and say what you said about Doc Rivers. Mm. J.J. quote tweeted it and said, Pat, my guy, already you know what's coming out. Right. I had a four-year offer 
with player option for the same money to be a starter for a different team. F-O-H. Saved my career. I love it. I What's he going to learn, man? I was hoping it was going to be two current <laughs> players, but yeah, I, I mean, love it. Yeah. I mean, look, those those guys, though, are very out here with their podcasts and out in the NBA mm-hmm. media. And yeah. so I'm with it, well, man. Pod beef. I'm with it. Yeah, we do have some pod beef. Let's go to the Body Works Plus guest hotline right now and welcome Tim Bontemps of ESPN.com. He joins us to talk about the Charlotte Hornets post-All-Star break, but also some other NBA-centric topics. Tim, thank you so much for the time, man. How are you? Doing well, guys. How are you doing? We're doing well. What's going on, baby? Uh, I would ask you about this player beef right now, but I'm not going to do that to you with your with your colleague being J.J. Redick, although it is pretty interesting to me. Instead, we'll go to the All-Star weekend because that's been a big topic of conversation here, Tim. And we were trying to figure out exactly what answers people might have. It was a successful Saturday night, even with the slam dunk contest being much uh, criticized as well. But I know that the ratings were certainly up compared to what they were last year. It's just the game. It feels like the game has not lived up to what we at least watched as kids. Is there any idea that you have, Tim, on how we can fix the NBA All-Star game or what the NBA might look at in order to fix the All-Star game? I think the key there is what you said, which was when we were kids. Yeah. Right? Like, the All-Star game was fine. I was. It was not an exciting game for me to watch, but kids liked it. And, like, I think to me, the way to look at this whole weekend is the NBA doesn't call it All-Star Game Weekend, right? What do they call it? They call it All-Star, right? All-Star is going to Charlotte or Indy or Cleveland or San Francisco or whatever, right? It's essentially become their version of Comic-Con, which I don't say is a, a criticism, right? Like, it's become this like massive fan experience. They have tens of thousands of people go to their crossover event every year. They have people go watch the celebrity game, which I don't know why anyone would ever have interest in going to watch the celebrity game. And (laughs) my company airs the celebrity game. Uh, You know, people go, I mean, I was at Lucas oil on Saturday. There were people sitting in the absolute top row of the upper deck of a football stadium to watch that dunk contest on Saturday. And the place was full on Sunday to watch the basketball game. So I think there's really only two ways to look at this. One is you sort of do what they did with the the Rising Stars game on Friday, which I won't apologize to anybody if they didn't watch it. I also didn't watch it, and I was there. But that game used to have even less defense than the All-Star game did. And they changed it to this format where they have seven teams or four teams of seven guys, and they essentially play king of the hill. They play two games to 50, and then the winners play to 25. Might be slightly different point totals, but that's essentially what they do. And if you had, if you had like three games like that where guys played to 50 and um, the scoring totals were smaller and the game was shorter, I think there'd be – more chance for some competitive moments to happen like there were to some degree in the rising stars thing on Friday, because you weren't having guys take 200 threes. And if Dame and Tyrese come in and say, we want to try to win MVP and combine to hit 17 threes, the East goes up by 20 points and you're just not really making that deficit up. Right. And then the rest of the game was just, it sort of hovered between 10 and 20 points and nothing really happened. So 
you know, you either do that and sort of try to inject sort of smaller competitions to increase the level of competitiveness potentially in them, or what, and this is probably what I would do, have the game at three o'clock in the afternoon when little kids can watch it and have some fun stuff during it, like they do with the pro bowl and just say, Hey, we're here to celebrate the game this weekend. And we're just going to sort of put on a show like they do with the Saturday afternoon practice kind of. Um, but instead they have, they're sort of doing the same thing that major league baseball has done for decades, trying to get people to care about the all-star game and the same thing that the NHL has done and the same thing the NFL has done. And the truth is that 20 and 30 years ago, there wasn't the same sort of complex built up around these games and guys would go there for like 36 hours and play in the game. And now the entire weekend is a giant endless event. And by the time they get to Sunday night, they're exhausted and there's too much money at stake for everybody involved to be selling out, being super competitive in the game. So I just, I think it's just a whole debate that sort of misses the broader point, which is that, most of the people having this discussion are wishing it was 25 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And we've seen across all sports, all of these games lack any kind of real competitive edge to them. And I think, you know, spending two or three days during the all-star break, having the narrative around the league be, why does nobody care? It's not exactly a great marketing move by the league, in my opinion, to have like allowed this to become the defining discussion around the game itself. Well, and and Tim, that's what I want to go to as well. Like, is there a disconnect between the fan base and the NBA? Because clearly the fan base thinks there is a big problem. We've spent enough time talking about it. We've gotten enough engagement talking about it to where clearly the fan base does have a problem with the way that the all-star game is played. Does the NBA think that there's a real problem to the point of where they feel like they need to fix it? Or is there a big old disconnect between those two parties? Well, I think you guys saw how Adam Silver reacted after the game and he was clearly mad. And uh, I think the NBA, the NBA was upset with how the game went last year, spent the last calendar year expending a lot of capital to try to uh, get the game to be played differently. And then it wasn't. And I would say like, yes, it is a great, and I'm not saying this in a mocking way to be clear. It is a great radio topic to talk about how to fix the all-star game, right? But like you said, the ratings were up. Like little kids, fan, younger fans liked the game. They had no issue with the game, right? So I didn't, like I said, I sitting there at the game didn't think it was a super exciting thing to watch. But I think they either need to change the format or just lean into, sort of like what the Pro Bowl has done, lean into the idea that it's not going to be this grand spectacle of competition and just turn it into more of a showcase of what these guys' athletic gifts are. But to go to go back to your question about does the NBA care, you just have to go watch Adam Silver handing the trophy to the Eastern Conference All-Stars to see whether the NBA cares. And the NBA cares because they want to get as large of a television deal as possible and they're trying to sell the All-Star game to Turner or someone else for a lot of money, which is why they spent the last year trying to make sure that this was the most competitive game they could get 
and why they were so mad that it wasn't. Tim Bond, Tim's joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And Tim, when you talk about that too, because I was going to ask, is there any messages that are giving, given before the game? Or two, is it as simple as the players that are the captains, the Giannis's, the LeBron's, they come into the locker room with that type of competitive energy to get guys to play hard. Is it as simple as that? I feel like we're talking in circles. This is kind of the problem. Like, I think Anthony Davis summed things up best after the game when he was talking about it. And he was like, look, you can't sort of be competitive. You've either got to, like, turn it up and be competitive or it's hard to really do it a little, right? And he said, look, there's a ton of guys, like everybody that's here is hugely important to their teams. And imagine what would happen if somebody went up to contest a dunk and fell and got hurt and their season got changed because of an exhibition game. And what would the reaction be? And I will just point out that in all of the discussion about oh, we've got to have the All-Star game be super competitive and guys have got to really try. Nobody talks about the fact that in the Elamendi game in 2020 after Kobe died, which was an awesome game and an awesome event, Kemba Walker played a lot of consecutive minutes on a bulky knee, and his career was never the same after that. And you could say, well, Kemba already had kind of a bad knee. It was going to go that way anyway, and that might be so, but – you can pretty much draw a marker from that game forward. And obviously I say that in part because Kemba was such a beloved guy in Charlotte for many good reasons. Like you could pretty clearly point to that game and say his career is never the same after it. And you could at least make a specious argument that him playing 20 consecutive minutes in that Elementing or whatever it wound up being, which was a lot might've played a part in that. And Again, it could have happened in any situation, but there is a real down, there is a potential downside to these guys going all out in this game. And if we had a situation where I'm not even going to say a guy's name to jinx them, but like if some star player broke their leg or blew out their knee or something in the all-star game, the conversation we'd be having right now is why did anybody try in this game that didn't matter and ruin X team season? So, I do just think this is kind of a, I think it's sort of a philosophical argument that doesn't really have a clear solution to it, which is why I would either change the format or I would personally lean into the fact that it should just be a showcase midseason thing and have it at a time of the day when kids can actually sit and watch it and not on it nine o'clock at night when a lot of them can't. Tim, I'll ask you now, turning the page to the Charlotte Hornets, and we saw all the additions that they made, the most movement we've seen from the Hornets at the trade deadline in quite some time. And I want to look at LaMelo Ball specifically and his career trajectory. Is this exactly what LaMelo Ball needed as far as more veterans coming into the locker room and with that veteran approach that they're taking? Is he a guy that's going to benefit greatly from all that the Hornets did at the deadline? I wouldn't say he's going to benefit from what the Hornets did at the deadline per se in terms of who was brought in. I would say he's going to benefit from what the Hornets did at the deadline because it's a sign of the franchise under the new owners, Rick Schnall and Gabe Plotkin, having a real vision for what they're doing going forward and are going to have some real investment in the team and I think um, have a real chance to build the team in a smart way. 
And, you know, none of the moves they made were particularly uh, sexy or headline worthy, but they were just solid, smart basketball moves. And if you look at a team like the Thunder, they're now one of the best teams in the league uh, in large part because they spent three or four years grinding away, hitting a lot of singles and hitting a lot of doubles. And yes, part of that was Van Tegel's Alexander there, which, you know, if you want to draw the comparison with Lamelo, you certainly can. Um, and then they spent two or three years methodically adding pieces around those guys and doing well in the draft and making smart decisions. And then all yeah, we, we're having trouble hearing you, Tim. We apologize. Tim was starting to break up a little bit there, and the audio was starting to go out. We'll try to get back with him in just a moment. That was Tim Bontems of ESPN.com joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, talking about the All-Star break, and perhaps we'll just say farewell from there. I wanted to get a couple more Hornets questions in, but maybe we can do that a little bit later on. But with LaMelo having this help veteran-wise, as you were kind of alluding to here, Wes, I think that's true as well. We have Tim back on is what you're saying fitty okay cool we got tim back on and maybe we can finish up there apologize for that tim we couldn't hear you it, it yeah, seemed sorry, like guys. no My you're bad. good no you're, you're good man. it just seemed like you were talking a little bit more about how it feels like the hornets finally understand the direction they need to head and that's why they were so successful at the trade deadline absolutely they picked the direction and they set out in it and i think like uh, you know i don't know where i cut off but you look at the thunder and they spent three years methodically adding pieces around Gillis alexander and making smart decisions and hitting a lot of singles and hitting a lot of doubles and all of a sudden they've got a ton of draft picks and a young exciting uh core of players and they've got one of the best young teams in the league and i'm not saying it's going to go exactly the same way in charlotte but if you hit a lot of singles you get a lot of guys on base you end up scoring a lot of runs and that's i think a model for what the hornets are trying to do and i think they had one of the best trade deadlines in the league because they stuck to it and did it very successfully all right, Tim, last thing before we get you out of here. The other thing that the Charlotte Hornets are doing right now, Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall, they're looking for a new general manager. We just don't know who that's going to be after Mitch Kupchak steps back to an advisory role, at least once they do find their permanent GM. Do you have any information on that front, on who you expect to be uh, the GM of the Charlotte Hornets and who would make a good candidate there? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have a specific name in terms of uh, who's going to wind up with the job other than, you know, the people that, my colleague Adrian Wojnarowski has reported right. um, as who are going to be the candidates. What I would say is, though, if they hire any one of those guys, they're all bright young guys that I think are ready to run teams. And you know, again, I think the the way they handled the trade deadline, if they whoever they hire, if they stick to that sort of formula going forward, and they methodically make smart, sound decisions and just slowly build this thing. They might not end up winning titles because obviously only one team can win a title, but they will build a good, successful team and people in Charlotte will be excited about it. And I, I think that, I think if I was a Hornets fan, I would be as encouraged about the team as I have been in a long time because of how they handled the couple weeks before the deadline. Because it was a sign of a really solid, strong organization that picked the direction and stuck to it. And if you look around the league, there's a lot of teams in the similar record area that Charlotte is in right now where you cannot say that is what they're doing. And so I think if I'm a Hornets fan, yes, there's a lot of work to be done. Yes, there's a lot of talent that needs to be added. But I feel pretty good about the direction that the team is headed in now. And 
Um, you know, the next step is obviously to get a GM, and we'll see what happens after that. But, um, you know, going out and getting a young, energetic guy to carry out this kind of a vision, like, uh, I'd say it goes along with the same lines of what they did, and that's a pretty encouraging sign of where things are headed for the Hornets. Yeah, the fan base is ready to throw a parade after three games. Like, I am too. <laughs> I am solidly in that well, faction. Well, it's just really funny, like, and, you know, to go back to the question earlier about, you know, the veterans around LaMelo, like, it was just, it's so striking how bad the back end of Charlotte's roster was that they added five players who essentially weren't playing on teams, and they're significantly better. We right? sold and got better, Tim. Like, how does that even happen? We won three straight games after selling more so. Well, that's, and that's because they just, their, their depth, the final 30, 40% of their roster was as bad as any team in the league. Right. And like just having 15 NBA caliber players on the team can allow you to win games. And like they got a bunch of rotation players in those trades and like Grant Williams and Vasily Micic and some of these guys a year from now, they could probably flip them for more draft assets. Right. Like it's, it's, that's exactly what Oklahoma city did. And, you know, like I said, it's not sexy in the moment, but if you stack up a bunch of singles and doubles, you score a lot of runs and you have a lot of success. And that that's the model they're sticking to. And I thought it was really encouraging. And like I said, I, you know, people were kind of surprised when we were doing like our trade deadline shows and stuff. And I kept trying to talk about Charlotte, but I, I just, I really think, Taking a direction and sticking to it is a hard thing to do in the league, especially when you're down near the bottom. And, you know, for a team and a fan base that certainly deserves to have some success, um, I'm hopeful it's the start of what's a, a nice upswing for you guys. We all have to thank Vasilya Michich. We're going to see a lot of jerseys worn by Michich here in Charlotte. That'll do it for Tim Bontemps joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Tim Bontemps, covering the NBA for ESPN. Tim, we really appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. Anytime, fellas. Have me on whenever. All right. Sounds good, man. Talking a lot about the Charlotte Hornets there, and we'll give you some of our analysis on what he had to say in the last segment here on Wesson Walker. Coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFN. We're back on Weston Walker. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Talking a lot about the Charlotte Hornets with Eric Spanberg, with Tim Bontemps joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. We're trying to fix the All-Star game. Tim was saying, you know, we just keep going back and forth. We're trying to figure it out, and we just can't do it. I don't know how much the NBA cares. Adam Silver certainly seemed to care when he was handing that trophy over to the Eastern Conference. But also, it's like, is anything going to change from this? And we'll see if they try to figure out a new strategy during All-Star Weekend. And how would you feel about the All-Star game actually airing at 3 p.m.? Is that something that you would, like, be down for? Or would you do you like it a little bit more happening at night? I like primetime. It could start a little earlier. I'll say that. Well, though. they just need to be on time if they say it's going to be on, like, at this specific time. Yeah, All right, JJ. Because when I was What's watching. What's true? Yeah, because when I was watching and I said, that, I think it was, like, 840 or something. I was like, when is this game starting? Like, I legit said that. 
out loud. I'm like, when has this started? It took forever. So Fiddy is bringing up J.J. Reddick, bringing this up on his podcast, but he's not wrong. In fact, I don't know if, with I don't know of anybody that disagrees with him. Can you can you actually disagree with the take that you'd rather have the event start when it says it's going to start? rather than wait 45 minutes for it to actually start. Like nobody can nobody agrees with the way the NBA or any schedule you know operating like that. Like if the Super Bowl tells you, "Hey, we're going to kick off at 6:30." It'd be cool if you kicked off at 6:30 or 6:35. It was 6:42 when the Super Bowl kicked off. And they promoted 6:30, right? Yeah. So it's not that bad. Baseball can, does like seven first pitch is going to be Seven oh five or seven ten, and the Super Bowl always has the funky time for when it's going to be kickoff. So I'm sure they probably made that because they always say like kickoff is going to be at six forty three or something like that. But the introductions for the All Star Game are ridiculous. Yeah, they are. Long. I mean, and they've always been like that. Ever since I can remember, they've always been like that. The funniest one I saw this clip going viral on Twitter again, where they had Common introducing the players and he was giving us some lame rhymes as the players would step up to the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that was was about the players. That was about the players, right? It was about the players. Yeah. It was, I'm trying to remember some of the rhymes that he had, but they were, they were bad too. So instead of just saying, and at point guard standing six feet, eight inches from the ground, your franchise player, LaMelo ball, he would like try to rhyme with something like he never falls. Welcome to the stage, Mr. LaMelo Ball. <laughs> it was something that lame, I promise you. Well, he said that check wasn't lame. It probably wasn't. <laughs> this was a few years back, too, when he did that. And so, yes, you're talking about a long time before we actually get to the start of the All-Star game. I don't know how much Stanford P was saying, yeah, man, advertisers would probably never go for the 3 p.m. start time for an NBA All-Star game. But perhaps we're chasing it because we loved it so much when we were kids and we're not kids anymore. And the kids like it now. Like, I don't know. Did your son watch it, Wes? Yeah, we did. Was he interested in it? Uh, He did tell me after the game he did want to shoot even more jump shots than we shoot during his workout because I guess he saw the shooting on display. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I want to shoot more jump shots now. He got inspired. uh, In the workout. Yeah. But other than that, though, we did have our gripes because my son can definitely go on some epic rants. And so... (laughs) Uh, we <laughs> we definitely had some conversations during the game about how many threes they were jacking up. So he wasn't totally uh, feeling it. Yeah. I thought it was <laughs> – I, I want your son now to go into the next game that he plays and shooting a Damian Lillard 30-footer. Right, right. Make it rain. He likes to do it because the mm-hmm. next day at the end of the workout, just to have some fun, we did half-court shots. Okay. So they're shooting half-court shots. Yeah. By the way, I saw this on Twitter too when – I was it. I think it was the teams they were playing knockout, and then I saw somebody from Canada say, "Wait, do y'all actually call this knockout in America? We call it bump." And I saw a lot of people roll with that on Twitter. That mm. yeah, you actually. Now I understand that you have different rules. Like twenty-one, when you talk about rules for playing twenty-one on a court, that's like county by county. You got different rules. If you drive an hour away from where you live then they're going to play 21 very differently than where you grew up playing 21. But I have never in my life heard knockout called anything different than knockout. Yeah, me neither. Have you ever heard it called bump, Fitty? Or have you just heard it called knockout the entire time that you've played that game? Nah, we grew up using words like bump and riz in in historic Lancaster, so you just got to get with the program. Bump and riz? Yeah. Bump. I don't see nothing wrong. What's the riz part? Charisma, baby. He's being... 
He's, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, took yeah, that he, question. He, he, he did the, this bad. Hey, <laughs> hey, did you call it knockout? Yep, I'm just throw this away yeah. in the trash. Boom. <laughs> That's what I have to say to your question. <laughs> Thanks for playing. It's Wes and Walker wrapping up here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I'm going to try to go back to you again, Fiddy. Let's talk about what we're watching tonight. What do you have on the television screen? Well, unlike the NBA, there's great college basketball product on tonight, starting with mm. UConn and Creighton. Um, I'll be locked in on that game. You've got Baylor and BYU. So San Francisco and St. Mary's, a big game in the West Coast Conference. And then there's some team in the ACC that's playing for their hopes to make the NCAA tournament. Something <laughs> called Fake Forest. They play Pittsburgh. I'll, I'll have that game on as well. That was good. That was nice. That was cute. I mean, I'm, never mind. I'm not even going to say what I said. You got a little classes joke. That's what or... I was going to say. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was coming. You're going to be watching Fake Forest too, Wes? Yeah, I will be. Uh, no question. I hate the 9 o'clock start time, though. I mean, a good Lord. Who starts ACC games at 9 o'clock? Oh, my God. Are you serious? You complained about this. No, I no, I complained. We've complained that. about it in the room about start times of ACC games being late. Yeah, like I, 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 you're right. For non-important ACC games like Wake Forest and Pitt, play the game at <laughs> 7. Carolina, Duke, those types of games, play the game at that nobody o'clock. cares about outside of North Carolina anymore. Um. The last question I have, since UConn is in action tonight playing 15-ranked uh, Creighton yeah. on the road, is UConn just going to destroy everybody That's on their way saying. to another title? That's what title? they've been doing. They did it to Marquette this weekend. I tuned into that game thinking it was going to be a nice competitive matchup. Beat down. I mean, that that was the number four team in the country they just destroyed by 30 points. Yeah, I hope Carolina getting a bracket, too. We were on the bracket preview show yep. on Sunday, on Put Saturday. Put right in there and let you lose by 20 and take it to the house. All right. There was the joke that Wes promised he wouldn't throw your way. It, it eventually came up after you called Wake Forest fake forest. Hey, a 130-pound guard thinking he going to take you to a natty. Anything else on RJ? That's it. Uh, that, okay. That, that, How do you know who I was talking about? That 130-pound guard would be the best player in that program's history at Wake Forest. But Doubt it. Touche. Doubt it. Uh, Tim Duncan didn't exist. That'll hey, do right. it. Right. Chris Paul. Muggsy Bogues. Come on, man. Oh, that is Stop. funny. God, they ever play in a Final Four or a national championship game? That's okay. I like the fact that we're going over. Like, we could still <laughs> go another five minutes by just late insults, like right after <laughs> as we're trying to move on to Kyle Bailey. It just keeps on going. It is funny. The last thing I'll point out, we somehow found the only guard that can't be beaten when you talk about how small they were in Muggsy Bogues playing for Wake That's Forest. That's right. And he was a lottery pick. All right, let's move on. RJ Davis will be playing for... Save it for the post show. In the Swiss Alps this time Swiss. next year. <laughs> no, they're, they're pretty good. That'll do it for Weston Walker. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you hang out with Kyle Bailey and Smoke Ludwig. They're coming at you from 3 to 6 right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We'll be back with you tomorrow from 12 to 3. <laughs>